Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and it's opening day here in Cleveland. We can't wait to get things started with the Guardians at Progressive Field later on today. In the meantime, uh, Paul Hoynes and I were joined by MLB.com editor and researcher Sarah Langs, who had a lot of interesting thoughts on uh, Stephen Kwan and the Guardians' hot start offensively. Uh, So let's join in and listen in as Hoinsey and I chat with Sarah Langs from MLB.com about the Guardians and their fast start to the season. And we're now joined by Sarah Langs, uh, a writer and researcher at MLB.com. You know her work from uh, Twitter mostly, where uh, every every night during a game, we seem to be getting uh, facts and figures and off-the-wall stats thrown at us. uh, you know, through you, uh, it's it's just amazing and uncanny the way that you come up with some of these numbers, Sarah. It's it's a real pleasure to have you here. Uh, join us on the podcast. Very kind of you. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. And I mean, boy, the Guardians have provided a lot of really fun numbers this season. You know, we'll get into one guy specifically, but I was digging into them this morning, and the plate discipline on the entire team is just off the charts. So there's going to be a lot of fun facts coming from that team this year. Do, do you think that that might have something to do with Chris Valeka being uh, the, the new hitting coach and, and maybe just from the top down uh, a, a new approach and a new philosophy when, when these young hitters get in the box? You know, obviously I haven't had any conversations with anybody, but it really seems to the point where it seems organizational. I mean, Miles Straw is a guy who always had a really good eye at the plate. And when they got him last year, that continued. But I mean, we're seeing guys like Ahmed Rosario, Owen Miller. And then of course, you know, Jose Ramirez has always had a great eye. And, you know, we'll talk about Stephen Kwan, who is of course the headliner so far, but all of these guys top to bottom, when you look at whiff rate, low strikeout rate, all of these things, there's depending on your minimum, maybe three or four guardians in that top 10 or top 15, which is really impressive. And I do think it comes from a team approach when you're looking at that many guys, especially young guys, minus Ramirez, that that has to be coming from, I think, a joint approach there. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, you know, that's when they hired Valeka, they, uh, they were looking for a team approach and, you know, they've got three hitting coaches. Uh, they've got a, you know, they've got input from the front office. 
And uh, I think they are looking for, you know, kind of a, like, you know, kind of to duplicate the, the approach they've, they've had with the, you know, developing pitchers, you know, from the minor leagues on up. Sarah, I, I got to ask you, during a game night, how many screens do you have going? What's your, what's your process? Because, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, a guy like a Stephen Kwan go five for five, and then all of a sudden in our feed or somewhere along, you know, on my phone, it'll pop up. Uh, that, that you've tweeted something about, you know, going back in history and, and looking at uh, uh, comparisons. Where, what's your process, you know, start with and, and where do you get sort of these, these great facts and figures that you throw at us? Well, you know, I'm a big fan, big user of the MLB.TV4 box. You know, you can get four games on one screen, obviously, on a 15-game night when, especially in that 7 p.m. Eastern window, it feels like you have close to, you know, eight or nine games going on. Uh, that's really my friend. You know, I've got a couple screens up, couple four boxes going, and really just trying to keep an eye on all that I can. I mean, I'm really looking for those standouts moments so a lot of them are sort of stat casty a guy hits long home run has a really high exit velocity on a batted ball but you know it's also really just keeping up with all of the storylines with games so knowing a guy is coming in with an on-base streak a hitting streak knowing okay Vlad Jr. just hit three home runs. If he does that again, or if he does that within his next few games, he'd be the first guy to do whatever. Um, and really just keeping up with that. I mean, I think a lot of it is just knowing what's going on with as many players and teams as I can be. But, you know, I, I think so many people do such a great job. So I often see so many things out there where I'm like, I'm so glad I'm able to keep up with that through this person tracking it. So it's almost like a team effort just out there, I guess, in the Twitter world. Yeah, it really seems like you have, a, you know, a collaborative effort with anybody who's out there and willing to, like, share that information. And, and your, your enthusiasm for it really shows through in some of the, some of the posts that you make. I, I know, uh, you know, our friend uh, Mandy Bell is a good friend of yours, and you guys go back and forth, uh, you know, several times on, on Twitter, and it's fun to sort of see that. Uh, it's been fun to see you guys talking about Stephen Kwan because he really is, like you said, the headliner right now among rookie hitters. Uh, I, I don't think you can, you can find, uh, you know, a better guy to, to talk about right now. Uh, what's, what's something that was like most eye catching or most, you know, jumps off the page at you first when you, when you were researching Stephen Kwan? I mean, obviously, you know, that whiff, that streak without whiff, I should say, he went 116 pitches into the season before he swung a miss. And yes, it was a foul tip. And yes, that counts as a swing and miss. I know there was some discourse about that, but that's how it's always been as long as pitches have been tracked. And he did have a more traditional swing and miss later in the game. But coming out and doing that to start his career. I mean, unfortunately, these are the types of things we can't track back all too far, but we can go back to 2000 and nobody had started a career with that many pitches before their first swing and miss since at least 2000, which is a pretty good sample. If you think about it, we're in 2022 right now. 
And there were only seven guys to even start a season having seen more pitches before their first swing and miss, which is, again, incredibly impressive when you think about the first 116 major league pitches this guy ever saw. And, you know, speaking to Mandy and writing a story about him for MLB.com that I did uh, on Thursday, you know, I really learned so much about the player, about this was his calling card. I mean, you go back to his stats even in college at Oregon State, and the guy made contact. The guy was always hitting. If you look at the minor league stats from last year, he swung and missed at just 2.6% mm-hmm. of all the pitches he saw, which was by far the lowest of any minor leader with at least 300 plate appearances. And sure, that isn't necessarily the quality of pitching he's seen now in his first six games in the majors, but it's really incredible to be doing that. And no minor leader was even close to that level with him last year. Yeah, I think the, uh, the the number was something like the distance between him at the top and the next guy and the next guy and the, the like the 51st guy on the on the chart was like, yes. you know, that, that's it's uh, it's just a ridiculous uh, amount of uh, of not swinging and missing, I guess. Points, have you ever seen uh, a player just come in and not look overmatched? Yeah, I mean, you've been you've been doing this a long time. So a, a, a rookie like like Stephen Kwan to, to not be overmatched has, has got to be impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, you know, I just, you know, he just looks so calm and collected at the plate and he, he has a plan, you know, he's not jumpy. He's not jittery. You know, this is a guy that, you know, he did this through spring training and it's just carried through to, you know, the start of the regular season. It's, it's really been impressive. Sarah, are you able to like draw comparisons or be able to like sort of project out what uh, what what Quan's doing now and what he's going to be able to do over a, a full you know 162 games if that's if that's in the cards for him or, or or just what the future might hold for him. Well, you know the name that comes to mind for me is David Fletcher, who is actually the previous record holder, if you will, for the most pitches to start a career before swinging and missing. Back in 2018, he saw 100 before his first uh, swing and miss, and uh, that was him. That was the record prior to Quan. And David Fletcher is, I think, a very underappreciated player in today's game. I mean, he always leads the majors in contact rate. He hits everything from, you know, the old Vlad senior head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I mean, that's David Fletcher these days. And he gets on base. He makes contact. He doesn't strike out. So, you know, that may not be an MVP candidate that may not be the best player on his team but is a very consistent player and I think if Quan's career can play out like David Fletcher's that's a really really good spot to be in I mean other contact rate guys who've really uh, persisted throughout the years you know a guy like Michael Brantley who is of course mm-hmm. very familiar to uh, Cleveland fans I mean I think that's one thing that stands out to me is that Brantley's career has persisted as long as it has, especially in this sort of second phase that he's been in over the last few years because of his ability to make contact. So it really seems to be a way to stay at the major league level these days, as long as you are getting on base and hitting enough. You know, a guy like Nick Madrigal, who is a rookie right now for the Cubs, he was on the White Sox. He's a question mark because 
you know, he pretty much only hits singles when he does make that contact. So that's sort of that dividing line. Are you able to turn some of those into doubles and have a little bit more slug there? But I don't see any reason that this formula wouldn't continue to work for him, especially because it is something that's so rare these days. Yeah, just for what uh, Quan provides in terms of bridging between uh, Miles Straw and, and, and getting there as that number two hitter, to uh to to jose ramirez uh it, it's just sort of like lightning in a bottle it's he's the right guy in the right time uh yeah. for the guardians right now for this formula over the last you know four games that they've they've been able to produce as much as they had uh you mentioned his his power and i you know i was i was curious uh, you know Hoinsey, what do you think of his uh ability to just to to maybe grow into a little bit more power he had 15 total home runs in the minor leagues and he's he's only what five eight five nine, so he's not necessarily a big guy. But uh, you, you know, is there a potential there to maybe grow into some power? Well, I think he hit what twelve home runs last year between Double A AA and Triple A, so that was a big jump. Uh, so it, it shows that, that maybe a little bit is in there, something is in there. But I don't think he's got to hit home runs. You know, I think this is a guy, you know, we saw it in Kansas City, hit that triple down the line. You know, I uh, I think if, if he continues to hit and create, you know, you know, cre- you know, get on base and create situations for the guys behind him, I think that's really going to be valuable. He can run a little bit. You know, he obviously makes contact. He's going to hit for average. So, you know, if, if you, you know, if he, if this guy hits 10 home runs to 15 home runs a year, that'd be great. But if he doesn't, I think there's, there's a place for him. Yeah. It's the, the weighted runs created plus, I believe he uh, he's very high in right, right now, obviously early sample size, but uh, you know, it's, it's things like being that number two hitter. It's things like seeing a number of pitches. I think he ranks fourth in the league right now in number of pitches per plate appearance. And, and that's exactly like Tito said yesterday, that's exactly what the, the, the club needs out of him right now. Absolutely. And I mean, again, I'm thinking to that specific plate appearance he had, I want to say was in game five uh, of the season where he fouled off like four straight pitches. I mean, that's what you want to see out of someone setting the table for Jose Ramirez and the rest of this offense. And again, I mean, the offense has looked really good for them so far. And I really think having a bunch of guys who are getting on base and setting the table for each other is why this is working. It doesn't feel like anyone is going up there trying to be the hero with the home run. You know, I, as someone who loves StatCast, would love to see some more Framil Reyes home runs, you know, get those 450s and 110 mile an hour exit velocities on the board. But what they're doing is working. And just back to that organizational philosophy, input, whatever it may be, it really seems to be a good recipe so far. Yeah, the, uh, the, the we're waiting on the, uh, the Framil Reyes home runs as well. I think Framil's waiting uh, too. Yes. He, he, he's, he struggled a little bit early on in the season here. Uh, Sarah, uh, what does Stephen Kwan need to do to continue to be uh, not necessarily a stat cast darling, but like a, a, a Sarah Lang's favorite maybe for uh, for some of these uh, these tweets and these these mentions here uh, on a nightly basis? Uh, what does he need to continue to do to, to be able to sustain, sustain that as a rookie? 
I mean, I think doing what he's doing, you know, not striking out very much, not swinging, missing very much. One of my favorite things to kind of look into every now and then tweet out is the highest in zone contact rate guys. So guys who really specifically in the zone are not swinging, missing. David Fletcher, Mookie Betts are often right toward the top of that list. And I think those are things that really stand out. And again, I mean, this guy is a rookie, six games into his career. He has the lowest strikeout rate and the lowest whiff rate of anybody in baseball. If you keep doing that, I mean, I'm certainly going to be taking notice. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, tell us how uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast can get in touch with you, follow you, read your content, find your content, because uh, we want to make sure that they find out and they know what we know uh, in in following you from uh, MLB.com. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm on Twitter at slangs on sports, slangs on sports, if that makes sense auditorily, Um, and writing from MLB.com. So, you know, just pointing out things that are fun or interesting to me and hoping that uh, others feel the same. Lindsay, you got anything else for Sarah before we cut her loose here? Oh, just thanks a lot, Sarah. Really, Thank really, you guys so much. Really appreciate Thank it. You. It was a real pleasure. And uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, here in Cleveland, maybe uh, at some point next month. Uh, I think there is a special occasion on the horizon that uh, that we all have circled on our calendars. I believe there's a national holiday, right? Right around <laughs> toward the end of May. We will yeah. all be celebrating. Absolutely. The uh, the Mandy Bell nuptials are, are coming up. So uh, that's going to do it with uh, with Sarah and uh, and Paul. Uh, guys, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. All right. That was Sarah Langs from MLB.com and our conversation with her. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, talking to her again soon, uh, just fascinating the way that uh, she processes data and information and, uh, you know, finds the, the really uh, viral and unique shareable uh, info and stats about Major League Baseball and its players and gets them out uh, via Twitter to uh, a lot of fans around the league who, uh, you know, might otherwise not know how to, uh, you know, find some of these tidbits and and records and, uh, you know, stat cast information. I wanted to take a minute to just recognize that, you know, today is the the home opener for for the Cleveland Guardians. The first time uh, the team will be taking the field as the Guardians. Uh, A lot will be different at the ballpark, but a lot will be the same. Looking forward to to sort of being there and and taking in all of the, the changes and the excitement uh, Josh Naylor scheduled to be back with the club. Uh, that that move will be coming here today, and uh, you know it should be a lot of fun watching him interact with his teammates once again. It'll also be our our first opportunity to get in the clubhouse uh, since 2019 in uh, in Progressive Field, so uh, a chance to talk to some of these guys for the first time, uh, sort of in their own environment, where it's a little more comfortable and not not on zoom as we have been for, for so long here. Uh, you know, I take a minute to recognize that today is Jackie Robinson day, uh, the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. So, uh, both teams are, are supposed to be wearing, uh, Jackie Robinson's number 42 on their jerseys, which is a unique thing. Uh, and, and just recognizing all the great work that, that Jackie did and, and what he meant to the game. Uh, as 
as far as the game itself goes, uh, this is, you know, the Guardians 4-2 coming into the contest. Uh, the hottest offense in all of baseball uh, facing uh, a team that won more than 100 games last year in the Giants. And, uh, you know, they, they've started out as well uh, with that, not without a little bit of controversy, as Gabe Kapler, the manager of the Giants, has said that they will uh, ignore the unwritten rules of baseball and, uh, you know, bunt when they're up by 10 runs and steal bases. And, and if that upsets some other teams, then that's, uh, that's what it's going to be. But uh, the Giants' goal is to wear out your pitching staff throughout a series. And, I, you know, that I can't argue with. I can't argue with the strategy, but, uh, you know, the practice is, is going to get uh, a lot of feathers ruffled in the process. So we'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to uh, seeing Terry Francona back in the dugout managing again, uh, missing the last two months of the uh, 2021 season. Uh, it'll be great to, to see Tito in person and have him interact with the media as well. Uh, so all that is in store for today. Uh, our thanks again to Sarah Langs for joining us on the podcast. And we will talk to you again next week here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll see you then.